This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Simon and Danny Murphy discussed whether or not football will ever find peace with the handball law after PSG's controversial penalty against Newcastle last night. Conor Ben against Chris Eubank Jr. is reportedly set to be finalised this week for the 3rd of February. But how can it still happen in the UK? Robert Smith, General Secretary of the British Boxing Board of Control, joined us live in the show. And we talked Sinbins in football after it was announced by IFAB that they could be trialled for cynical fouls as well as dissent in professional football. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We're back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. I don't know where Newcastle fans' uh, heads are this morning. Obviously, I heard Ali, who was uh, on duty last night, along with Laura at the match, uh, talking about that penalty kick award. Um, uh, The debate will go on, but as I said now... Unfortunately, from Newcastle's point of view, uh, their Champions League destiny is out of their own hands going into the final group game. So, I mean, when you look at it, Danny, on paper, Paddy Jan- if, it, if it had been a fight in a boxing ring, it probably would have been stopped because PSG absolutely battered Newcastle United, especially in that second half. 72% possession to 28% possession for Newcastle. 31 shots to 5 in favour of PSG. 7 shots on target, 2 for PSG. And then that penalty was awarded that many feel should never have been awarded in the dying seconds. This was Eddie Howe post-match. We'll look at the positive of what the players gave today. I couldn't ask any more of any individual on the pitch. I think they've totally committed to, to what we've asked them to do. Um, some massive performances from individuals and the team together. Really disappointed for them. They don't get to share that moment of success. But and we're still in the competition. We're still fighting. And that could have been very different. You know, They did miss chances today. So I think we have to look at the positive and not the negative. So, I mean, Danny, it begs a question. If you heard all the stats in favour of PSG, uh, were Newcastle robbed or were they lucky? <clears throat> well, the stats are irrelevant to the decision. Irrelevant of whether you think they got a bit lucky or defended, you know, manfully and made good saves and stuff. The decision itself was just awful. 
But it doesn't surprise you because in Europe they d- they do have this ridiculous um, interpretation of handball that basically if it hits your hand, you're done more or less. Um, I was amazed by it because of how close it was coming off his chest. Um, yeah, and it was obvious, you know, that that, that I, when I, that happens, it shouldn't be given. Do you know what? <laughs> every weekend, every midweek now, we we end up talking about decisions rather than the tactical element, which I hate. I know we have to do it, but it, it's tedious because they were robbed by a really, really poor decision. You could argue on the on the second half performance from PSG, they, they deserved a draw. That's, mm. that's fair in terms of chances, but you don't want to not... They, they've now not got the destiny in their own hands because of a really poor, poor decision. And that's a shame for them. I think on a, some of the performances... I, I Livramento, by the way. If Gareth, if Gareth Southgate needs somebody, in case Shaw's not fit, to play left-back, he's powerful, quick, brilliant one-on-one defender. This was against Dembele as well. You know, with all that's gone on last night, people aren't talking about Livramento since he's come in a team. He's been a revelation. Against Chelsea at the weekend, he is a brilliant one-on-one defender who's great going forward as well. Mm. And I've, I don't see a better left-back other than Luke Shaw than him at the moment in the Premier League who should be in the uh, England squad, honestly. Yeah. We want him too, you know that. He's one of four Newcastle And he can play Portugal as well, isn't it? Scotland, oh, really? Scotland. Oh, right, right. I think it's Scotland, Portugal and England. Yeah. I wonder what to choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, Simon, it's hard to imagine how they came to that decision last night. When you consider from UEFA, this is UEFA back in April, the board recommends that UEFA should clarify that no handball offence should be called on a player if the ball is previously deflected from his own body mm. and in particular when the ball does not go towards a goal. Yeah. I mean, I'd just like to go back a second. I think in a way performance where you defend valiantly and the goalkeeper does his job, because goalkeepers aren't exactly. put in there to put the, pick the ball out of the back of the net. Their job is to make saves. Peter Shilton was the reason, perhaps in some reason, in some perspectives, why Nottingham Forest kicked on to win the European Cup. So with that in mind, I don't think Newcastle were riding their luck. I think they defended valiantly. PSG mm. were playing at home with the wind behind them. I think Newcastle put out a very, very commendable away performance, which might be categorised as a smash and grab, but that's what happens in away performances when you're playing against potentially more experienced opposition. That was their best away performance. And I think, and I think so that, they, that, that they would have deserved, they would have been good value for a very, very valiant and, and, and you know, deep-seated performance of integrity and character to overcome the odds of what I thought they would do. I thought PSG would right the wrongs. I thought PSG would look at what happened to them at St James's Park and go to them and say, right, you're going to have some of this, you little minnows. And they didn't. And Newcastle were good value for a very defensively minded 1-0 win. Yeah. So I look at it from that point of view. As far as the penalty is concerned, you can't make this argument about VAR. You have to make this argument about on-field refereeing decisions. Because irrespective of where the VAR decided to put its nose in again, the referee still has the casting vote. He still has the ability to sit there and go, I know what's in my mind. Mm. I know what the rules of the game are. Okay. I know what deliberate handball looks like. Yeah. I know what proximity looks like. That's not really in the spirit of any of those, so that really isn't a penalty. So we can't bring VAR into this conversation. It has to be the referee and the referee well, alone. Can I just say, that, say Simon, because in the last few moments, VAR is in the conversation because the video assistant referee uh, last night, Thomas Kwiatkowski, has now been stood down by UEFA tonight. Uh, he was due to be on VAR duty for Real Sociedad's <laughs> Champions League tie against Salzburg. No longer been taken out and he's been replaced. 
in, in a, I mean, you have to think that's a clear indication that UEFA believe he was wrong to recommend penalty yeah. at that time last night. But, but Simon makes a great point, and I heard someone talking about this yesterday. Premier League, Champions League, whatever it is, there's a percentage, and I've forgotten it, but I think it's in the, well, it is in the 90s, of decisions when, when a referee is called over to the screen that they agree with the VAR. So why do we think, and I think this is the fundamental issue, why do we think referees are losing the capability of having the courage of their convictions with what they've seen on when they go over to the... Is it this, like, feel it, this togetherness where once you're called over to the thing that the guy, they're in VAR, they've got the different screens and the ref's thinking, I've got to really side with this because otherwise I'm going against all of the guys at VAR because not just one, is it? There's two or three of them in there. Yeah. What do you think it is? I... I I don't see enough referees going to the screen and sticking with what their decision was. You think they're or swayed, vice versa? That eventually sway. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Do you know what though, Danny? That the ref last night is regarded as, as the number one. Do you know what? He did the Champions League final last season. He also did a. His performance was brilliant last night. To that point, and when it when it when he got called over, part of me thinks this guy. I've not seen many better referees than this guy last night. By the way, till that. Until that moment, I was thinking yeah. when he went over, <laughs> he'll he'll stick with his decision. This fella, he's got the courage. Yeah, again, it goes to the argument that we're trying to advance. When we ever, do, whenever we discuss VAR, we don't myself and Jim don't bring the hammer down on it. Then we're VAR apologists. It's not that at all. In this instance, VAR has intervened for whatever reason is best to see fits. It didn't need to. Bro. We want the character of referees <clears throat> to have more strength, and if they look at that then, like we've looked at it, it's very difficult to see why that's a penalty. And I would much prefer that referees own their decision-making process on marginal calls like this where it becomes very subjective. Mm. I would much prefer that the referee on the pitch shows what leadership looks like, shows what it looks like. Yes. And, you know, we're, we're, we've got this klaxon call, people in the media, certain people in the media, to say, right, get off VAR's back, let's give the referees a chance to retain their authority. And it almost sometimes feels like you're defending those that at times don't deserve to be defended. Because in instances like this, you would expect a top referee to go, I'm not going to be swayed. I'm not, I'm not going to lose my focus on what I think it was. Nothing in that video image that I've now seen slowed and moved to every single pixel being formulated in front of my eyes gives me any reason to suggest I'm going to change my mind. Besides the fact they've called me to potentially change my mind. Yeah. And you want that kind of leadership, and that is the kind of leadership that you would expect to have on the pitch from referees that are making a difference yeah. and supporting the argument which we're making on their behalf, which is cut them some slack, give them a break, let them be the authority on the pitch. Well, is it worth... I mean, I don't know how the wording, what the criteria is around the wording from VAR to the referee on pitch, but I think there must be some validity in thinking that actually just suggesting the referee goes to the screen is the simplest way to do it without actually starting to fill his head with what you think you've seen. Yeah. So I say to you, Jim, possible handball, go and have a look. Not, I think you might have got that one wrong. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Because all going. of a sudden, that ma mindset is, I'm under the microscope here, I'm under massive pressure, <laughs> I'm looking at this screen with thousands of people in it. Yeah. Just go over and have another look, just yeah. in case. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. All the headlines this morning on the back of the newspapers, killing the game in the back of the sun. And of course, they're talking about a decision like the one that was made last night that, that really robbed Newcastle United after a quite valiant, well, heroic keep, they performance. They can't keep on saying that's VAR. That's no. not VAR. The reasons why VAR intervened probably is because of the pressure of the occasion, the scale of the situation, and they felt that they should. 
but you cannot excuse the referee on the pitch. This is an on-field pitch decision. I know yeah, what but, Danny... but he got it right. Hmm? He, initially, he didn't give it. But he changed his mind. But he changed because his mind. Because of VAR. So that's my point. The person in the but no, because of himself. Well, no, because VAR didn't exist, it was no pen. Fine. It's because VAR is but, implemented and then people but are employed still, to use it. But we're still it. suggesting that VAR isn't, VAR isn't the ultimate decision maker. Well, it's the a referee, machine. The referee is. No, VAR is, is, a, is a person looking at a digital screen, telling somebody else to interpret it a certain different way. Correct. So it's a human interacting yeah. with an image, right? Yeah. The bottom line is, is the on-field referee can still see the same thing. He saw it live, said no penalty. He sees it in digital format, and he and he can still see that the rules apply. This is not a VAR situation. I know what you're saying. No, you know you're right. right. It's, this it's is on-field refereeing. Uh, hence the fact I then spoke about why the hell are we? Why are so many referees? And I don't know the answer. Why are so many of them going to the screen and struggling to have the courage of their convictions when they've seen something? They don't. Then they then have their mind changed. Why? Yes. I, I, I'm with is you, it Danny. the wording? Is it the structure that's in place as they go? You know, what is it? Go, go over to the monitor by all means. Yeah. Look at it by all means. But if you still think yeah. your well, original decision not, is right, even if don't you, give it. Even if you're, you've got to be 100% yeah. convinced that you've made the wrong decision. Well, we're not you, there yet. Do you know what? I mean, we, we talk about this this morning now, but we really are, for the first time I would say it, we really are in between a rock and a hard place. The handball law which has changed many times over the years, can, can it ever really be solved? Yes. Now, well, have a listen, Danny, because when Lucas Brood, the, the head of the lawmaking organisation IFAB, Who did he play has for? doubt, then we all should really doubt if it'll ever... This is Lucas Brood, the head of IFAB, when asked by me, do you think this handball situation can ever be solved? It's very, very difficult. What we did a few years ago, we... Basically, we tried to cover the gray area, the non-deliberate handball, uh, because before that, handball was only when it was deliberate. Uh, we then identified a number of situations where a non-deliberate should be punished as well, scoring a goal by hand or goal-scoring opportunity, etc. But it's never going to be perfect. Um, handball is, is, is a difficult one. And um, unless we tell all players to put their hands behind the back, uh, I think it will always be a, a point for debate. We will, of course, monitor handball and, and we are constantly monitoring all laws of the game. And um, if we feel that a change is needed here or there, we always do that. And uh, we are monitoring also what's happening with the latest change or amendments of the laws related to handball. And if there's any need for action, um, we will act. He's the top man. He makes the rules. IFAB make the rules. And you heard him saying there, this can't really be solved. Just overcomplicating it. It's ridiculous. It's so easy to solve. I've spoke to loads of ex-players. They all say the same. Right, solve it for us now. Deliberate handball or a handball that stops a goal. So if you're on the line, even if it's accidental and it whacks you in the arm, it's got to be a penalty. How do you know if it's deliberate or not? Is that not subjective still? I've never seen a handball that I don't know whether it's deliberate or not. I don't understand that subjective. Subjective intent. I, I can tell you. I've not seen one. If maybe one in 10 years that you might have a 50-50, any ex-player who played the game will tell you if it's an intentional handball or not. But is every, is every deliberate handball... I'm, 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 perhaps I'm just expanding upon what you've already said. But is every deliberate handball clearly definable? Because in order to, yes. to determine deliberate, you've got to have the understanding of someone's mindset. You've got to no, be able they're, to... No, their like, actions tell you. Well, do they? In yeah. every, there's no, there's no grey areas in that. There's what, no, so, you can, you can say that every time a deliberate handball, you see a deliberate handball, you can actually spot it 
unequivocally, and you yep. can understand the intent of the player. On a deliberate hand ball, yes. The only the only caveat is that if you start getting really cute and clever, and somebody tries to make an accidental hand ball look. Uh, which, so is deliberate amber looks, looks which is what they would do. But that, I have, I don't remember. So there is an element of subjectivity. Well, there might be, Jim, but I'm talking one in a hundred, one in a thousand, because that is so hard to do. And generally, most players can look and go, you saw what he's trying to do there. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I've been in doing this ten years since I stopped playing, and I can't think of a handball I've seen that I wouldn't be able to tell you was accidental or deliberate. I no, can't think of one. No, no one's arguing with you and everyone's bowing to the fact that you've played, but it's just this idea that every single time that the, the, the rules get changed, it's because someone somewhere is stupid and clueless and hasn't closed the door properly on some other methodology being deployed. And it, to me, it, whatever, it's like I use this analogy. If you want, if you put the best alarm, a burglar alarm on your house and then my five want to break in, they'll still get in. And if defenders want to do something to adapt themselves to make a deliberate handball look like an accidental one, then they'll do it. Maybe maybe they'll try. Maybe maybe. Maybe you'll get the odd one, maybe. But surely it's better than what we're getting, which is penalties being given for the most ridiculous... I mean, the the one last night was just beyond ridiculous. It was similar. The Wolves Wolves had one at Luton where it come off... The, I mean, he crossed it, it hit him from a yard, smashed off his thigh and hit his arm, which was just in the air, and they gave a penalty. I mean, how the hell is that? In the in the, the the what's the word the spirit spirited again? You know, it's just ludicrous. The, the lawmakers have got too much time on their hands. Too many different people in, putting input into it. It's just I, the handball rule is so easy to fix. But it's who's untrue. in? But, then you, but there are also ex-players like who? Who's there? Well, he, 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 he Figo's may be, Figo. Figo's been involved in it. Figo's been involved in it. Figo's been well, let's make fools of ourselves. Let's make a, let's make a rumination of the game. And they've got talk. ex-players in there like Marco van Basten and, of course, Luis Figo that have played at the highest level to the highest standards that are a part of the intellectual capital You think they are? Behind. We don't know that. We don't know they're sat around a table making decisions on handball. Well, That's a wild assumption okay, but just because they're linked. Well, no, no, how no, many, no, how no, many no, big no, corporations no, no. have ex-players uh, linked should, to should, their should, name? Shall I give you an example why? Because Marco van Basten made some suggestions to IFAB during the course of an IFAB consultation where he uh, he abdicated for the um, the banning of the offside rule. Yeah. So he Which is shows you where he's at. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, it does, because I can only but, talk but about context the players... context and nuance of that conversation. I, speak, I work in the punditry game where I'm with ex-players all the time. But it's not a wild accusation. It's a bit, high, bit of hyperbole from you to suggest that if you've got IFAB members that are footballers, that is a wild observation that they might be involved in the decision-making processes well, right, of wild the implementation wrong, of If rules. I said wild, it's the wrong word, but it's an assumption to think that they're in every meeting just because their name is linked to an I think it's a reasonable assumption well if you think Leo Figo sat in a meeting every yeah. day at IFAB on every different subject no I, I wouldn't imagine he would do but when it comes to on field situations like handball as as and as the intellectual capital to be able to guide rule makers I would have think it's a reasonable part of fiduciary duty to be able to cover your arse as a member of the IFAB committee to turn around and say who did I ask you know what I asked the geezer around the corner that served well, some I, ice cream recently I, think I got, asked a professional footballer you've got the wrong people there then Oh, you, well, then no, then no one can win that argument because the right people would be the people that I come down and decide what other people the, think. The, the general consensus of opinion of the people I, I work with and speak with who all play, <laughs> and nearly all bar, I can't think of anyone who, who says it shouldn't just be deliberate handballs. Well, because it's easier, side, not maybe I'm nothing's not perfect. I'm not arguing. No, I know. But yeah. is, do you think, logically, it would be easier to interpret? All right, I get you, you might get the odd one. 
I, but I is it easy to interpret? Right. If you're watching the game tomorrow, Jim, and you say, "Look, just tell me the deliberate handballs," that is easier than this. This complicated, detailed mm. nonsense of what is and isn't a handball. I, can... I cannot think for the life of me that it's beyond the wit of man who had been involved in football all his life. Still not to get this right last mm. night. I, I, I cannot ridiculous. get my head around the fact that they can't get it right. But, but, Danny cited a barrier of entry for Arsene Wenger in that he's an old age pensioner. I didn't know that. <laughs> but, well, he never saw any instances, did he, anyway? Um, <laughs> I never saw it. Well, yeah. what I'm saying is if but, you're old like you, but, Jim, you start, you but, know, you don't, again, you're not but necessarily again, this, all this, this doesn't actually come down to... Uh, I, you don't think that's a deliberate handball, do you, that happened yesterday in Newcastle's no. game? Neither do I. And neither does then most sensible people. Right. So that means neither does the referee. And it's not stopping so, a goal. Exactly. So, so by definition, it's not a rule issue. It's a referee's interpretation issue but because the issue was deliberate handball. Most sane people, whether they're most staunch, died in the wall PSG yeah. fans, would probably say that's not a deliberate handball. So why are we so getting so many basis, wrong then? Not a penalty. Why are we getting so many wrong? Well, then? the problem is if, there, if it's so easy, I've had so the lawmakers wrong, themselves, as you heard from Lucas handballs. Brood a moment ago, can it ever be solved? The handball law? No, not really. He said. So it's kind of down to us. Well, that's leadership at its best, isn't it? <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Let's turn our attention to boxing. Because as far as we gather, Conor Ben is now set to fight Chris Eubank Jr. It's uh, more or less finalised and will go ahead on February the 3rd. 
But the question remains this morning, how can it still happen here in the UK? Because remember, it was Ben who uh, failed not one but two tests before the last time the two were due to fight. And the fight was off amid a, a, a whole bunch of controversy. The headlines went on and on and on and still go on around uh, that cancelled fight. Um, ben thinks it's on. Connor Ben on Twitter. I cannot wait to punch you in the head, he says. In response to that, Eubank Jr. tells Ben, you're a dead man walking. In response to that, Ben fires back, I'll remind you of this, when you're being scraped up off the canvas. February the 3rd, I am ending your career. So the fighters think it's going on, but how can it go on? Because has Conor Ben really cleared his name? Robert Smith is the General Secretary of the British Boxing Board of Control and joins us live. Robert, good morning to you. One question. Have you licensed this fight to go ahead in this country on February the 3rd? Well, first of all, thanks for asking me to come on. Um, as you're aware, I was unable to come on yesterday, as I would have done. We had other matters other than Conor Ben. Obviously, Conor Ben's a very important matter to deal with, but we also deal with other boxing matters, and I couldn't get away from those. So uh, I'm on as soon as I possibly can. Thanks, Robert. Um, I can say, um, uh, to begin with, that the board feel um, any athlete, not just a boxer, but any athlete who um, has failed a drug test needs to go through an investigation and that with the proper authorities, and that hasn't happened. Um, and we're waiting for that to happen. And the boxing board and UCAD have been pushing for that to happen right from the beginning of this. Um, and unfortunately, it's been delayed, um, not through the boxing board of control or UCAD, but through other parties. Um, with regard to Mr. Ben boxing this country, we have had an application for him to box in this country that has been refused. Right. So what's all this noise about then, Robert? I mean, are you like us standing back somewhat baffled this morning that they think all roads lead to the ring on February the 3rd? Well, obviously, you know, they, they can put out what they want ultimately, but uh, they've got to go through the proper authorities and we haven't been through the proper authorities. And we're... As I said before, we're really, really keen to get this done right from the beginning um, through um, procedures that we can't, which I can't really discuss. Um, however, as I say, we want it done, um, right, uh, want it done to get it cleared up. This is not a good look for boxing, as you can imagine. And uh, as as working for the Boxing Board of Control, it's my job to try to get it dealt with as soon as possible. And that's what we're waiting to do. And there is an appeal in process. Um, and... Um, you know, once that appeal's done, we'll be in a better position then. Are you in a position, Robert? I mean, we spoke about this previously, and obviously the nature of the situation has been that um, uh, the suspension was lifted on Connor on the basis of jurisdiction. You, the British Boxing Board of Control, in association with UCAD, have launched an appeal against this, which you're now saying is being held up not by your end, but by other people's uh, uh, end of the equation, which I'm assuming is Connor and whoever else is around him. Are you in a position as the British Boxing Board of Control and UCAD to be in a hearing, if there was a, if there was an appeal to be heard in the next two or three weeks, would you be in a position to be able to advance your appeal and put forward your case? Or would you need f further time to be able to deal with the matters that you need to advance? An appeal is taking place in the new year, Simon, and we'll be at that position at that time. We'll be able to put forward our case, yes. Right. So, again, I'll ask you, and you, you may, may obfuscate, but why, why is it taking so long to get an appeal? Is that simply because of the other side of the argument have not been as cooperative as you'd like them to be in getting an appeal date and being in, and, and to determine the outcome of a process that you're uncomfortable with? Yeah, as I said, 
we've been pushing very hard for the appeal well, from the beginning for the whole process to be dealt with properly, as is normally in the normal process. If we'd gone through the normal process, Simon, I'm fairly sure we've been in a position now where you possibly would be able to box. Um, but we're not in that process because it's been circumvented to a certain extent, uh, which is very disappointing. We've been pushing very, very hard. Um, we, we're in a position we could do it today. Hang on, hang on. That's, well, that's good to hear. that's good to hear, Robert. But let me just take go back on what you just said. If he had have gone through the process that didn't involve jurisdiction, he would now be going through a process with yourselves and UCAD to determine an outcome that was based upon two failed drugs tests, two past two tests that have been passed through UCAD and two that have been failed through VADA. He wouldn't be able to be boxing anytime soon because unless he'd provided you with a satisfactory outcome as a reason why those substances are in his system, you'd be putting a ban on him, wouldn't you? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right, Simon, but we don't know. The situation is, we, and as, as we've discussed before, the, the, Connor could be innocent. There could be a, a reason why, but we don't know. Or he could be guilty. We don't know. We haven't got those info, haven't got those facts, and we want to get the facts to deal with it. If, he, if he'd gone through the process in the first place and had to serve a suspension, depending on what that suspension would have to be and how long it would be, but we're not in that position. What baffles me, Robert, is the cart is very much before the, the horse here. Connor Ben is having an exchange now with Chris Eubank Jr. about what the two will do to each other once you get in the ring. But Ben himself is precisely naming the date, February the 3rd, as a time when he will, quote, end Eubank Jr.'s career. They've already decided the damn thing is on. But here's the thing. They haven't got that permission from you. No. They haven't got that. The proprietor hasn't got that permission from us. We can't control social media, Jim. You, you, you know as well. You can't control social media. We have a we have a, 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 a talk sports show that deals with sport all the time. Obviously, the things need to be t discussed, etc. And it's regurgitated all the time. Uh, we're not in control of that, um, and nor do I want to be in control of that. To be fair, because it's a minefield, as you're you're obviously aware. Um, but the situation is, we've refused permission for him to box for that day. But Robert, but Robert, if they, Robert, they're forecasting an outcome of an appeal, because if you're if you are having appeal in January, they are erring on the side that there's an expected outcome, mm. and on that basis that there's an expected outcome, you will then, if the outcome remains the same, if your appeal is unsuccessful, and you aren't able to overturn the the, the lifting of a suspension, are you going to be in a position? after that, to stop Conor Ben from fighting on February the 3rd? I'm not going to deal with speculation, Simon. We've no, that's not speculation. That's, not, that's a straight-line conversation, Robert. That's not, Robert, that's not speculation. If you lose your appeal, you are not going to be in a position to stop them from boxing, are you? We won't know what the circumstances and the outcome of that appeal is. There could be conditions. There may not be conditions. It may be a situation where we can do no more. We've done everything we possibly can, and he's entitled to box. Then we'll have to deal with it that way. At the present time, we're not in that position to give you an answer, I'm afraid. If they uphold, if they uphold the same situation, you're appealing against the judgment. I've been through many appeals in my life. Who made the judgment, Simon? Uh, the Independent Anti-Doping Commission, right. which is appointed on the basis of, re of representing an outcome that's independent from the British Boxing Board of Control appointed and independent by from UCAD. Is it you guys that appoint the Independent Commission, Robert? No, you everything is dealt with by UCAD. UCAD deal with it, right? So so, yeah. you, so if the if the appeal is not successful then you are in a difficult position, aren't you? Yes, we'll be in a difficult position, but we'll deal with it as we have to. I think I think I heard you say earlier on, Robert, that you could make a decision on this today. If 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 all the ducks oh, were in a row... No, he could be, in you, the, you, you, be ready to go to an appeal today. You'd be ready to go to an appeal today. So, 
presumably, I mean, as soon as you finish this live interview, which you've kindly done for us this morning on Talk Sport, your phone's going to ring, isn't it? Because <laughs> Ben's promoter's going to be on, and so and so too is Eubank Juniors. One oh, would I, have logically thought. That works. Yeah, I expect a lot of phone calls in the next couple of days. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but you've got a date. You've got a date scheduled in January for an appeal, and, we've, we've and, got, and there's no reason that's coming forward. Yes. No reason that's coming forward. There's no reason it's going back either. Okay. Yeah. So at the moment, the fight's not on on February the third, Robert. Just to confirm that. <laughs> we've not given permission for that fight to take place now. Understood. Robert Smith, I know you're a busy man. Uh, thanks for giving us that time this morning. I thought you were going to ask me about VAR, actually, but they are <laughs> Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Will IFAB's new proposal see officials wrestle back control and authority over players? Sin bins. We're talking sin bins. It's been announced by IFAB that sin bins for cynical fouls as well as dissent are to be trialled in the professional game. What's your thought on that? I, am, I have noticed that this was coming up and that some of the great and the good in the world of football have tried to uh, throw in their point of view before it gets to that stage. John Terry is saying sin bins in football... I'm so intrigued to hear everyone's thoughts on this. I personally don't like it because the level of tolerance and inconsistencies from referees will dif differ every week. Uh, and there's a good uh, message from uh, a good friend of ours uh, on this very show, and he's Harry's former assistant, uh, Kevin Bond. Sinbin, football's in the entertainment business, Jim. The team that loses a player are quite likely to take a negative approach for the period Absolutely. that he's off, Well, unless they are losing. It's not good. In other words, they'll bank up. Both right. They're both right. And I tell you what, I tell you what we'll do when we've got so many officials struggling with VAR and all the subject the areas that are subjective, I'll tell you what we'll do, we'll throw in a bit more for you. We'll throw in another couple of subjective subject topics, which is cynical fouls and dissent. It's just interpretation. Well dissent's dissent. Shut your traps and get on with the game. Yeah, but you could do you can That's the end of the conversation. you could interpret my dissent differently to Jim. No, if you're a referee and you make a decision and, and a player wants to debate with you... Well, what if or, I said to you, you're having a really good game? Oh, don't be, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> no referee's going to put you in a sim bin for that, are they? Unless, you, unless you're being a facetious sort. I am, yeah. Right, ref. I am. You're having a great game, aren't you? Yeah. Right, that's dissent. Oh, well, your you're, interpretation You're already. using irony. By any reasonable interpretation, well, smart arsery is dissent. We are, the, the problem we've got with this, Jim, is that we are struggling with the refs, that they are struggling at the moment, of getting a feel for the game, understanding the game properly, because they've got so many rules, they've got VAR, they've got this, they've got... And you, if you throw in more problems for them, you're going to get even even bigger issues. Because people will be getting put in the sim bin when they shouldn't have. You know that that, that cynical foul argument, when someone run past, you're chasing back, yeah. someone cuts across you, and you don't mean to touch them, but you do, or you don't, it's interpretation. It's, it, it's just... But the very fact they're talking about introducing sim bins, Danny, is because you lot, players... <laughs> Answer back, gobby. Give it to the officials. Well, only, that's uh, why we're at. There, there's no respect for authority. Well, if the that's why we're at the little wearing of the badge with the respect badge. Forget that. Well, just just tell the players that you can only the captain can speak to the ref. If anyone else speaks, they get a yellow card. If they do it twice, they get a red. No, but it'll stop overnight. It will stop overnight. If you give, if someone comes up to you, Jim, and gives you, starts questioning your decision, you go yellow, and they come back so and start go, go red. So what if the refs were competent, we wouldn't have need. Okay, need so the last night when PSG the the, the the penalty moment, that penalty decision, yep. all the PSG players round that referee, gobby 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 gobby, right bang, in his bang, face. Bang, bang, bang. 
Booked a lot of them. Start, yeah, should have done, done do, do it years ago. They started no, beginning. I agree. Bang. Mm. I, I if, agree. If the refs are competent with their yellow cards and red cards, and for dissent I'm talking about, if you start running the ref's face and arguing, just go bang. And if he comes again, red. I tell you, he won't do it next week. And why not do what the rugby does? No problem with that. Only the captain can speak to me. As soon as another player comes up, bum, Jim, yellow. Another one, bum, yellow. It'll stop in two weeks, three weeks, done. Oh, yeah. So, like, this idea that players running around taking their shirts off when they score a goal was stopped, yeah? That's different. That's euphoric. Well, why is it different? Because that's, that's euphoric. It's a moment oh, okay. sometimes you can't okay. control. You, you can't control, control it. So, but, you can so control when you get a yellow card and, and, and then you get a second yellow card, you get sent off, that stops it, does it? You've got, you'd have to do no, it. No, it doesn't, because they carry on doing it. Danny, if it was that easy, they'd have done it long before now. And it's not that when easy. They, when, because we've players never had, will we've not... Never, we've never had an official rule that says only the captain can talk players to Players will not no. fall into line with uh, it, Danny. that's true. The reason, Overnight. But the reason is there's so many... I, I do believe, actually, there's so many outside influences that are artificially changing the direction of the game because I don't think the referees want to send players off. I don't think they want to change. Which I understand. It. And that's because broadcasters don't want to see players being I understand sent off. That and they don't want to see games being reduced in competitivity. Well, you wouldn't have to send them off. If you make the rule pre in the middle of the before a new season, the captain now is the only one that can talk to you. And of course, they all follow the rules, yeah? That's why. Give they, it a that, go. That, that's why for 20 years, they've had to, in, the, in the end, they've had to come up with a bloody spray can to say, right, you won't stand back 10 yards, so now we're going to press, put a spray can do. down. And now they do. So if you don't have so change, do agree, why not try and change I, I something? I do agree that there needs to be. Change something. But why? But why then is the sin bin, which is almost like because an orange? It takes away from the well, spectacle well, look, look, of the fans. Was, was in selling people off us as well, right? So why then is a sin bin, which is almost like an orange card? Why are you adverse to that rather than flashing yellow cards willy-nilly, indiscriminately, which means players are gonna get sent off because some bird has committed long. a foul. Some bird has committed a foul early on in the game. Isn't going to think I better zip it, bungo. Because I've spoke, I've done something earlier on in the game. They're going to get themselves sent off. So because be I, the same situation. I think, I think I'd rather see people getting. I, I'd rather see games affected negatively by people being punished for dissent than I would for maybe an accidental foul where you're sent to a simbin and there's ten against eleven for a, for an innocent innocuous. Okay, well then, would would you be adverse to it just being for dissent? That would work better. Okay. That the, would work better. Danny, we've seen moments that a sin yeah. bin would have been the right answer. I'm thinking of the Euros final up the road at Wembley, England against uh, England against Italy. And Cellini, who's famous for it, remember the pulling the tug, pulling the shirt of uh, of Bukai Saka. Yellow card. In, in the final. And it resulted only in a yellow. Because it was only a yellow. That's football. It has been for since the day. But that, would that not have been worthy of a sin bin? No. Because he denied England that so a, what a we clear we we, we then chance. well it depends when would the rule start you can't just have it for one time that would have to be if if everyone was being yeah but see there's not what what Jim is alluding to is there's not much of a consequence for a yellow card that's it that's what he's alluding to yeah but it's the, the way the crime, football's always but, been but yeah the, okay but football's evolving so you can't say but it's, it's always, brilliant well, we it love it be, but it used to be two points huh? for a win. It's not, we, everything changes mm. yeah but I don't think goalkeepers you, used to be able I, to do what I, they wanted to do I go back to my original point. You're talking about that many different criteria in the ref's head. If you're or problems, he's going to have to decisions he's going to have to make. You're just adding more problems because th this ain't something that's black and white. These are just subjective. But, okay, and, uh, subjective but how about, about bite-sized chunks? In if you are not adverse to the idea that sin bins could be a useful tool to eradicate ailments of the game, like dissent. And that becomes something that the referees embrace. They phase it into their thinking. It doesn't compromise them by having one more thing to think about, and it proves to be successful. And they work it well, right? 
Then they can build from that to say, right, well, the next part of the equation, not to ruin the jeopardy of the game by taking people off and sending them yellow, giving them yellow cards and red cards, we're going to sin bin cynical fouls. Once they've embraced and mastered the, 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 the ability to be able to contend with more than one thing at a time, which is what you're saying, put referee to mouth, put foot in front of the foot. Right. I, I think, you're suggesting yeah, I think we are in the worst... We, I can't remember a worse time for, for bad decisions than this season in my whole life of football. And I think if you want to add more problems to it, you're asking for trouble. Do you think player maybe do you think player behaviour has improved this season? Compared to any season. Do you think the players are behaving better in the field of play than they've ever done before? It's a very easy answer. You were very quick to tell us how referees are. It's a straight answer, Danny. It's got one hell of a lot worse. Still as gobby as ever. Still cheating. Simulation here, simulation there. Yeah, that's why all these rules are being brought in. Yeah, there's probably, but then change change it to a point where you cut that out. Uh, So you you do the captain thing is a really good idea. I think the captain thing works really well in rugby. I do too. But would footballers embrace it? Rugby does well, because you, you, they, there's respect that exists in that They would sport. embrace it if the punishment for not embracing it was quick, firm and affirmative and they go bang, red, yellow, red, bump, done. All right. Because I, I tell you one thing, I think Jim. he's right, Billy. If I started a season, I love playing and most footballers I believe do. Might be a few exceptions, but generally players, the way to punish footballers and make them behave is to stop them playing. Take their money away. Well, secondary. That sends them really crying over the edge. And, and you make and a rule the, at the beginning of the game. My friend is the answer, the sin bin. Take them out for 10 minutes. I just think it spoils the game so much. And it, it gives there's the a message there. It would be one hell of an embarrassment for any player to have to sit in a sin bin for diving. He wouldn't do it again. But that goes back to the original point we've made on here many, many times. Why the hell isn't why in the hell isn't there not retrospective punishment for diving anyway if the referee misses it on the day? Like they set up that board, the panel, they set up various people like myself to yeah. do it and then it stopped. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review. Wherever you get your podcast from, we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show.